I am Dr. Otto Janke, and thank you for joining us on the Empire Longevity Podcast. On the Empire Longevity Podcast, we look to, well, push you, provoke you, educate you, entertain you, and sometimes give you a little shove to your next best decades. So relax and give this one a listen. Thank you for being part of Empire Longevity. Hi, this is Dr. Otto Janke, and welcome to the Empire Longevity Podcast. Uh, in our training and in our uh, uh, reading and, and going through the uh, different types of uh, incredible research that I come across, I'm always trying to find the best I can for our listeners. And if there was a drug, if there was a drug out there which could do all these, improve the body composition, improve blood pressure, improve blood glucose and insulin sensitivity, improve your physical function and mobility, uh, give you greater oxidative capacity, improve muscle mass and strength, improve immune system function, and improve blood lipid profile and vascular function. The big question for you is, would you take that medication? And the overwhelming, overwhelming answer would be, hell yeah, I'll take them as many as I can, give them to me now. But the crazy part about that is this is all the results, what you can anticipate with resistive exercise training. And today we happen to have Jonathan McLeod, a PhD student from McMaster University, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, where we'll be talking with about a fantastic, fantastic article called Resistance exercise training as a primary countermeasure, and I freaking love that term, countermeasure <laughs> to age-related chronic disease. Jonathan, glad to have you on Empire Longevity. Thanks a lot, Otto. Uh, that was an awesome introduction. Uh, I really like the point where you hammered home about if you could have one thing that could cure all of these diseases and as you alluded to in the, the article, it's resistance exercise training. So yeah, first off, just wanted to say thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk about this paper. I think, like, as I said before, I think this is just a tip, just a top-notch uh, article. And I wish more and more people, we'll try to push as much as possible. And uh, uh, with your permission, we'll put it on our, 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 our Facebook page and uh, later on to our website so we can really push people towards this. Um, What's, why do you think, why do you think more people don't engage in resistance? So first of all, let's define what's resistance exercise training. So, so resistance exercise training, and it, it, there's a nice definition within the article itself, but it's essentially any sort of, of movement that, that involves contraction of the muscles, obviously, um, through using some sort of external load or resistance. So whether it's, you're using gravity, or if you think about maybe modern times going to the gym, lifting weights, um, that's what is defined as resistance training. So, so in, uh, in contrast to aerobic exercise training, where you think as a, a very low sort of stimulus, uh, very repetitive movements, resistance exercise training is more of an anaerobic based activity. So, so very intense contractions uh, using any sort of external load, really. And so the reality is that we can use a metal bar, uh, we can use uh, resistant bands, and we can also use our body weight. Yeah, and you know what? Even to take it a step further, if you don't have any weights and you want to progress at home, Otto, best thing you can do is pick up some soup cans and do some body weight squats with soup cans, right? Absolutely. 
absolutely. Uh, you know, one of the things I love about this article, and I'm, I'm going to read a bunch from it, but low-cost, widely implementable, multi-condition pharmaceutical interventions that have a low side effect profile and mitigate risk for all common chronic diseases while alleviating the risk of mobility decline do not presently exist. Yeah, that's kind but, of the, the super drug that we're all looking for. <laughs> but the crazy part, we do have a super drug, don't we? Exactly. It's all right here in the resistant exercise training. So let's talk about with cardiovascular disease, uh, number one killer of Americans by far. Um, how can this actually help someone with cardiovascular disease? With cardiovascular disease or someone kind of at the tipping point of developing cardiovascular disease? Right at the tipping point as the vast majority of Americans are. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in terms of cardiovascular disease, as, as you mentioned, Otto, in, in the United States, it is the major killer of, of a lot of Americans and, and mortality specifically. Um, but from a me mechanistic uh, standpoint, there's lots of work showing right now that the resistance exercise training actually leads to essentially an improvement in various risk factors um, associated with cardiovascular disease risk. Uh, so two of the big ones, obviously, diastolic and systolic blood pressure. These are measurements that that you can get from your physician just at home, your local drugstore within five to six minutes. And it can essentially predict if you're at risk for developing hypertension and, and ultimately cardiovascular disease risk. So, so there, were, there was a, uh, a trial published in 2014 that demonstrated that um, resistance exercise training alone actually induced reductions in systolic and diastolic blood pressure um, by about five to six millimeter, uh, millimeters of mercury, uh, which in the long term leads to about an 18% reduction of major cardiovascular events. Uh, sure. You kind of alluded to it earlier as well too, uh, but the blood lipid profile. So we have essentially the VLDL, the LDL, these, these, these blood lipids that are, are typically associated with, with cardiovascular disease risk and um, a, a lot of papers, I can't even think of one off the top of my head, but there are a lot that we've alluded to within the actual document uh, that show beneficial effect of just resistance exercise training on these blood lipid biomarkers. Right, right. You know, reading the article, it's not as if someone is spending, you know, an hour or two hours every single time in the gym. I mean, you talk about here that the whole body progressive uh, resistive exercise training which you see as two sets of 65 to 85% of the, of the capacity of one repetition max three times mm -hmm. a week. I mean, so it's not like they're spending, you know, 20 hours a week in the gym. It's going for three times a week. And I, exactly. I, 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 it, it seems like that is very, very easily uh, done. Yep. Yep. I totally agree. And, and especially when, with regards to cardiovascular disease, a, a lot of people look at, uh, aerobic exercise training, which, which is a great, great form of exercise in order to combat cardiovascular disease risk. But a hallmark adaptation with this type of training is improving what's known as your cardiovascular fitness. Um, and there is some work coming out showing that now even resistance training, as, as strange as it may sound, can actually lead to, to minute improvements in your cardiovascular fitness. Uh, although typically not as greater magnitude as performing aerobic training, but still pretty, pretty substantial when it comes to wanting to reduce your cardiovascular disease risk, I'd say. Right, right. I have to tell you that uh, I was in the gym this morning with my trainer and uh, I typically do a circuit of uh, eight to 10 different exercises. 
And then we do the cardio by working hard and just moving, moving, moving and never stopped. Uh, yeah. We there. And I, yeah. I, I absolutely love that. I got to tell you that uh, uh, one big concern we have with our seniors is, is being dependent uh, upon others as we age and, you know, not being able to get up and make a sandwich for ourselves or exactly. not being able to get up and go to the bathroom by ourselves. Great uh, from the articles is the recent cross-sectional analysis determined that community dwelling older adults with low muscle mass, which is just happening all over the place, uh, yeah. combined low muscle mass function, uh, had an increased uh, odds of being physically dependent. And that is just a scary, scary thing right there. And yep. we can actually combat that with resistance exercise. Yep. Yep. And, and you, you hammered that point home perfectly Otto. It's, it's not, it's not about the years in your life. It's more about the life in your years. Right. And, and how, how long can you maintain your functional independence for uh, as, as we get older, essentially. Right. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love that. And so um, with the, with the people you saw in the, in your group, you're studying, uh, what was the overall, what was like the common ages? What was the ranges? And what do you think their uh, physical makeup was? Were we looking at people who were massively frail, people obese, people who were, who had never exercised before? What were you looking at? Uh, a whole combination. I mean, it all depends on what paper you look at specifically, but we tried to take pretty much our, our very broad definition when we were looking at these papers was, uh, are they an older adult? Yes or no. And so at least how we define an older adult is uh, 55 years and older. Uh -oh. Um, uh -oh. <laughs> I'm officially in the paper now. I'm in the paper. <laughs> and uh, we, we, we found, came across a bunch of papers on healthy older adults uh, with no sort of uh, incidence of frailty, um, frail older adults. So then you even have uh, frail but obese older adults. So, so a big thing with aging is is a term that's been coined known as sarcopenia. Yeah. So sarcopenia is the age-related decline of muscles mass, and uh, you can extend it to strength as well too. So, we really don't know when it begins. You ask any different researcher in in the aging field, and they'll tell you a different different sort of age at when it begins. Uh, we do know that it's a multifaceted um, sort of progression. Uh, but but a big issue nowadays is sarcopenic obesity, right? So not only are they losing muscle, but they're also putting on fat as well too, right? So you have this confluence of these these two sort of epidemics, and because our population is aging so much, it's it's quite scary what what it could cost in terms of health health related quality of life, and even even uh, in the long term health related costs as well too. So absolutely, absolutely. You know we. Um... Uh, in America, it is uh, pushed upon our seniors, especially women, after the age of, it's almost like 45, 50 now, that they must increase their calcium in case they fall so they don't fracture a hip. But right here, mm -hmm. I love that uh, that the resistant exercise can improve neurological, psychological, and cardiovascular function. We can help them to uh, actually not fall by doing a resistant exercise, which is not seen as much with aerobic exercise. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and and I think the reason why a lot of people don't want to perform resistance exercise training is because we have this belief that you need to be in the gym, right? And you have to be lifting very heavy weights. Right. Um, you, you picture like Arnold, for example, you see photos and videos of him going to absolute failure, lifting all of these weights. But the reality is, 
you don't need that, right? Like it's as simple as just doing very low load, um, anywhere between 30 to 60% of your one repetition maximum. So in terms of how many reps you'd be performing, that's anywhere greater than, than about 13 reps. So, so pretty low load, but the, the important thing is you still got to exert, um, exert as much energy as possible. So you got to go to the point where you can't go any further. So what we like to call volitional fatigue. So you recommend to go to that point? Yes. Yeah. So, so we have some work that's come out of our lab. Um, Robert Morton, he, uh, he ran a few studies with uh, Dr. Sarah Okawa a few years ago. And they essentially took, uh, this was in the context with young, healthy individuals, and they, they randomized to them to perform either high load, so they're lifting at anywhere between 80 to 90% of their 1RM, and a low load group. So that's anywhere between 30 to 60% of their 1RM for 12 weeks. And it was whole body resistance training. And in terms of the amount of muscle and strength they put on, they were similar across both groups. So uh, that just kind of, it's, it's just one piece of evidence, at least that I've come across that shows that you really don't have to lift heavy weights in order to, to get these beneficial effects that you want to see with resistance exercise training. Love that. Absolutely love that. Uh, super, super key, uh, not only with the uh, cardiovascular, but the number of Americans who have type 2 diabetes, which is just freaking astronomical. Yes. Love it yeah. that lifestyle interventions are arguably the most effective therapeutic strategies in terms of preventing and managing diabetes. And uh, they go through this, uh, this uh, uh, program, demonstrate that lifestyle modifications were associated with greater reductions in the incidence of type 2 diabetes compared to metformin, which is the current frontline therapy for type 2 diabetes. You're telling me that we can beat diabetes, type 2 diabetes, by lifting weights. Most certainly, most certainly. And, and we alluded to um, in the beginning of the type 2 diabetes, diabetes section in that in terms of when you have type two diabetes, it's, it's essentially insulin resistance. So, so essentially your peripheral cells. So we look at here in the kin department, obviously skeletal muscle are, are resistant to insulin. So that means that glucose can't be uptaken into your skeletal muscle and uh, around 80% of all the glucose that comes from a meal is usually deposited in your muscle, right? So, so one could very easily assume that the more muscle you have, the more, the more essentially quality of this muscle that you have, right. um, the, the better it would be for you in terms of um, essentially combating uh, insulin resistance and, and preventing you from developing type 2 diabetes. So your cells are still sensitive to, to glucose. So you still get those insulin receptors getting uh, docked to, to the membrane of the muscle. So yeah, I mean, uh, type two diabetes is, is a very, very serious thing nowadays. Um, and, uh, yeah, metformin. So that, that American diabetes association study was, was particularly interesting. However, um, we do wish that, that there was some consideration with the resistance exercise training aspect, but there's lots of studies that, that support resistance exercise training on controlling your glycemic control and type two diabetes incidence. Absolutely. What was the, um, in the in the papers, do you think did did the did people actually have any kind of exercise prior? I mean, were they athletes before, or was it just people who had just your common Joe who had really kind of messed around with exercise and not really any any regiment? Yeah, so so it was your later one, latter one. So pretty much just any common Joe. Um, some studies, obviously, we we pulled together that had 
uh, individuals with type 2 diabetes. All, we also looked at studies uh, with individuals that were pre-diabetic as well too. So they had maybe insulin resistance or, or you can tell that their, their pancreas was really um, starting to become overworked. So they weren't yet necessarily yet considered uh, a clinically diabetic, but yeah, average Joe's diabetics and, and pre-diabetics as well too. Absolutely. Uh, and you know, in America, we're coming up on uh, an election year, which I know you Canadians are super happy about. Um, <laughs> Donald Trump's in uh, South Carolina today, I heard. He is. He is. Yeah. Here's, crazy, here's the crazy thing. I, I've talked about this for years, is that the, the, the best way to uh, decrease overall healthcare expenditures is have no need for the healthcare itself. And uh, I love this, that the model derived estimates predict that a risk reduction of the magnitude of, they say about, you say about 30% um, because of not not needing to care for people with type two diabetes would save approximately $1.5 billion in healthcare expenditures. That is an absolute crap load and would change the economies of any country. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then even when you think from from a consumer standpoint, right, at least within the United States, I'm pretty sure Americans have to pay for for insulin, right? Yeah. Um, and that can be very burdensome for for a lot of consumers who maybe not have enough money uh, to afford that insulin, which I think is personally absolutely ridiculous. Um, just here in Canada, you would never have to pay anything uh, for, for any sort of essentially protein that you would need in order to survive right so um yeah in terms of healthcare costs so just we based off of that study is is obviously predicted um how much money they would save but yeah as you mentioned auto massive amount of money <laughs> massive amounts of money and then you look at the as i i call uh type 2 diabetes i call it a gateway disease because from there we look at uh, you have possible, you look at all the people who are going to have chronic inflammatory problems, who then have w- the wound healing, which they mm-hmm. have just super poor wound healing. A uh, number of people who have surgeries or uh, medications or interventions because they don't, they're he- they just don't heal. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Massive. Totally. And, and it's even the same thing uh, with cardiovascular disease, right? A lot of people uh, with high blood pressures are typically prescribed statins, right? And and Absolutely. one of the side effects with statins is the fact that look, like you, there's there's a good likelihood that you might suffer some metabolic dysfunction, aka get maybe get type two diabetes down the road, right? And then there's obviously the myalgia stuff as well too. So everything is really interrelated. Um, it's just fascinating, in my opinion. Then we get into the uh, cardiovascular disease again. We took look at this, and and again, you're not looking at you know doing uh, you know ten hours of weight training or even aerobic. First of all, let me say that you are not you're not supposing that everybody should start should choose exercise of uh, resistance versus exercise of aerobic. No, no, not at all. All we're simply doing is just exercise, whether it's aerobic exercise or resistance exercise training. Obviously, in this paper, we're trying to um, make the point a bit more clear in that a lot of people don't realize that the health benefits conferred with resistance exercise training are there. So we're, we're just essentially trying to take a stand for, for resistance exercise training. And, and if you don't want to do both, you don't have to just, just pick one of them at least. Yeah, one of our rules is... Uh... Uh, pick one and go fricking do it. Would you please? We don't care what you do. Just get up off your ass and go do one. Yeah, totally. Uh, which is, and again, you talk about in here is that 60 to 120 minutes 
uh, uh, per week of resistant exercise, which doesn't seem like that much at all. No, no. And, and you mentioned earlier, it equates to about maybe two to three sessions, whether it's in the gym or even it's at, even if it's at home auto. And I love that uh, may serve as an uh, as resistant exercise may serve as a adjunct or even alternative treatment to commonly prescribed antihypertensive medications. Uh, the number of people who are on uh, blood pressure medications is freaking astronomical in America. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Astronomical. Uh, let's talk about uh, how resistance exercise training and cancer, because number two killer, um, number two killer of Americans, uh, number one is cardiovascular disease, and number two is cancer. Uh, I yeah. love that many of these cancer diagnoses share a risk factor linked with type two diabetes and cardiovascular disease, and associated with the with the uh, sedentary lifestyle. Well, how can people use this as a form of care for themselves with cancer or even pre-cancer? Yeah, so that, so that's a great question. Um, in terms of people who do have cancer and they, they are undergoing uh, treatments, whether it's chemotherapy, um, radiation therapy, or uh, androgen deprivation therapy for prostate cancer, yeah. a common side effect that we all know of is is I'm feeling very fatigued, tired. I don't feel like doing anything. Um, but in addition to that, they, you, they lose a ton of muscle mass and strength when on, when on these types of drugs. And as we've been discussing for the past half an hour, losing muscle mass and strength, whether you're aging or not, or whether it's due to some sort of disease you may have is not good for your metabolic health. So, so with regards to at least resistance exercise training and you undergoing uh, chemotherapy or radiation therapy. There's there's lots of lots of stuff out there now showing that performing resistance exercise training can actually um, help with your prognosis of of cancer, right? So so whether it's disease progression, um, major clinical endpoints, uh, reducing your risk for for getting cancer again, um, and even some some therapeutic complications, so such as like dose limiting toxicity, your body's more more resilient to to some of these pretty nasty drugs they put you on. Um, in terms of uh, people that are looking to reduce the risk of getting cancer overall, um, there, there's one paper that I really, really like, and it's from Stomaticus and colleagues in 2018. Uh, so they used the health survey for, for England, English and Scottish, uh, consisting of 80,000 adults aged greater than 30. So this isn't just healthy older adults. This is um, middle-aged older adults as well too. And they found that performing uh, resistance exercise training for at least twice a week uh, was associated with a 34% reduced risk for developing cancer, um, which was really interesting in that aerobic exercise training guidelines provided sort of no statistical benefit. Uh, now, although this is an observational study, we can't necessarily infer causation, but the, the results are pretty promising in that uh, trying to lift weights or just just doing any sort of body weight training can certainly benefit benefit uh, your prevention in terms of getting cancer. Yeah, and you say right here that the, um, uh, following the diagnosis of cancer had a protective effect on the cancer-specific mortality, cancer recurrence, and all-cause mortality. Aren't you mm-hmm. amazed that uh, that uh, writing a prescription to get your ass to the gym isn't one of the first uh, prescriptions written for anybody for literally anything? Aren't you amazed by that still? I, I am amazed, but at the same time, I'm not auto. Uh, a lot of a lot of the medical schools, at least here in Canada, because they have such a, a rigorous curriculum, they really don't have enough time to 
to really sit down with with these trainees and explain to them the benefits of exercise. And a, a lot of physicians just aren't comfortable with prescribing exercise, right? So, so that's just the reality of it. Um, at least here in Canada, uh, a role that's becoming more apparent within a physician's office is the role of a certified kinesiologist. So uh, these are individuals that have undergone a kin program. They've received their bachelor's for four years. And a lot of them are actually working in physician's office now. So whenever um, a client may come in and the doctor may maybe suspect that exercise may be beneficial with, for this individual, an RKIN would come in and uh, essentially give them, write them a little prescription of exercise. So, so I am surprised, but at the same time, I'm not just given the, the, the rigorous curriculum that, that a lot of medical schools have. They just don't have time to, to talk about the, the benefits of exercise, I think. <laughs> you know, don't, and don't you find that actually an ironic thing to say they don't have the time? When we have something that could, as we go, went through the whole list previously, the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different things that it can help. And it has, has a cascade effect of literally helping every freaking thing that you got that, that you wouldn't be having that as a major uh, uh, system of education for anybody who's going to be helping with anything with healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. You, you nailed it. Uh, it, it is very ironic. Um, but I'm hoping that in the future, things can change with regards to that a bit. And we know that ain't going to be happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to stay optimistic though, Otto, eh? <laughs> <laughs> and we know that ain't going to be, not with the, uh, uh, massive uh, amounts of pharmaceuticals, which are all, all just all over the place. Yeah. Uh, love that the uh, trial demonstrated uh, whole body progressive resist exercise improved lean body mass, strength, fatigue, and chemotherapy completion rate in breast cancer survivors receiving adjuvant treatment. Uh, while there is no significance, uh, no difference between uh, aerobic exercise, and I think it's amazing that, um, and I work with a lot of women who are post breast cancer, mm -hmm. that uh, they they are toast needs. We have to get you back in the gym, and they're just like. I don't know where to start. Um, uh, and don't, aren't you also amazed that the, that people don't know what to do when they're in a gym also, and they, the simplicity of exercise that they don't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you. And I think that's, that's a huge barrier, right? A lot of people, when they come into the gym, they kind of get, they see all these, these other people that look like they've been lifting weights for a while and they get kind of intimidated. Right. Um, so I am surprised that, that there are, um, instances in that case, but it's just one of the bigger barriers that we're trying to essentially knock down with this paper, just saying, Hey, look, like, I mean, you don't have to go in the gym. You don't have to lift these heavy weights. If you don't feel comfortable exercising in the public, just do some body squats at home, do pushups at home. Even if they're assisted using uh, your knees or anything like that, doing sit to stands out of a chair, sit to stands for older adults are not only helpful for, for improving muscle mass and strength, but think about the functional implications of that, right? A lot of older adults that have low muscle mass and strength may struggle to actually rise up from the toilet seat, right? So that is just a perfect functional activity that a lot of older folks can be doing um, that, that will certainly enhance their health-related quality of life. Absolutely. And we've talked about this uh, just a couple minutes ago, but your body doesn't know the difference between lifting yourself, lifting rubber bands, lifting metal you know, bars or or soup yep. cans, uh, and it doesn't know the difference. And if we don't know the difference, well, then you can get the benefit of literally, literally doing anything. 
Yep. Yep. Uh, but the important thing that we do like to stress is that you got to go to a point where you feel like you can't go anymore. Yep. Right. And, and yep. if you don't get to that point, then, then chances are you probably won't see those adaptations or those beneficial effects you're hoping for. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, once again, I'm with, uh, Jonathan McLeod, a PhD student, uh, um, stu- uh, from uh, McMaster university in Canada. A phenomenal, phenomenal paper, resistance exercise training as a primary countermeasure to age-related chronic disease. Uh, I read more and more about how uh, age-related disease is just absolutely everywhere and uh, how this resistance exercise training could just be a massive key to slow down the whole process and get us back into vitality. Yep. <laughs> There's nothing else I could say. You hammered it there, Otto. I mean, there's also the nutritional aspect as well, too, right? Be, but that, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's this isn't a uh, this isn't a one bullet uh, kind of therapy. Uh, you yeah, know what I no. love here? Uh, what I find uh, absolutely disturbing about uh, really the only thing I found disturbing about the whole paper was that uh, only two point four percent of older adults achieve the aerobic exercise recommendation, uh, which is just um, I mean, it's almost like why even have a recommendation if only you know less than three percent are going to be hitting it. Uh, and uh, but the re- um, resistant exercise induced benefits in chronic disease risk are equivalent, if not superior, in magnitude to aerobics. Uh, it just seems like either one, uh, we could be so much better at what we do to get more people just off their ass and get them moving. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that, that study you were referring to that was published in 2008, I, I think ever since that came out, a lot of, a lot of uh, organizations such as here in Canada, we have CSEP. So that's the Canadian Society for Exercise Physiology. Uh, they're starting to make a, a push for more resistance exercise training uh, recommendations and the guideline too, for it being more specific. So the reality is, if I tell you to exercise 150 minutes of moderate intensity a week or 75 minutes of vigorous intensity a week. A lot of people could, that could be daunting for a lot of people, especially right. the vigorous component of it. Um, so, so we just think that that resistance exercise training, at least given that, that they're well-educated and they, they understand that, Hey, look, we don't have to necessarily lift these heavy weights can, can really help to improve uh, adherence to, to at least the physical activity guidelines. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, Jonathan, I got to tell you that, uh, again, a fantastic, absolutely fantastic article. Uh, one of the last things we'll be saying here is that the, the evidence, as you write here, the evidence presented in this review demonstrates the beneficial effects of resistance exercise training on reducing chronic disease risk. And it's just like, just, it's going to help you in so many ways. It's not like a medication, which is going to go after that one thing and then have a boatload of bad shit that happens to you. It's going to yeah. be exercise is going to help all this stuff. And probably the worst thing that's going to happen is every now and then you might be sore from it, but uh, uh, mobility, disability, type two diabetes, cardiovascular disease and cancers in older adults and uh, absolutely massive that we get more and more people just doing this. Yeah. And the funny thing about that is when, when you speak about the pharmaceuticals and, and the drugs with the side effects, a lot of people nowadays are trying to look at an exercise mimetic. I don't know if you've heard of this before, but essentially yeah. it's, it's exercising a pill, right? So, so they're trying to essentially deduce all the beneficial effects of exercise and cram it into one pill to see if, if, 
individuals can get the benefits of exercise without actually exercising. Jeez, Louise. I, I kind I find kind of funny, but it, it would serve to be very beneficial for a lot of folks who are just maybe due to a physical limitation, maybe they're in the ICU, they just can't exercise. I could see right. that being very beneficial, but it is pretty funny that that I, I think at least that it, some some pharma companies are looking into the benefits of or exercising a pill, which I don't think they'll ever be able to because the health benefits conferred are just so tremendous and it's just so integrative. I just don't think they'll be able to hit everything. Absolutely overwhelming the benefits. Yeah. Uh, and and again, if we had a pill that that would improve your body composition, that would improve your blood pressure, would improve your uh, blood glucose and insulin sensitivity, improve your physical function mobility, uh, have greater oxidative capacity, increase your muscle mass and strength, improve the immune system function, which I'm all over that place with that, and improve the blood lipid profile and vascular function. If there was one, it would already be on the market. It would already be done. People would be taking yeah. a boatload. Uh, and it's, <laughs> we already have it. It's very, very simple. It's resistant exercise training. Uh, Jonathan, I can't thank you enough for being on with us today. Uh, again, the article we're going to post on the website and on the Facebook page, Resistance Exercise Training as a Primary Countermeasure to Age-Related Chronic Disease. And I'm going to sum it up with this. Get your ass in doing something. Just get it, get up and get moving and get lifting. It might be your body weight, might be soup cans, might be a rubber band, might be a metal bar, but just do something. That's awesome. Thanks, Otto. Th thanks a lot for having me on. I really had a great time uh, discussing this paper. Um, I obviously couldn't have done it without uh, my colleague, Tanner Stokes, and then obviously my advisor, Dr. Stuart Phillips. So they, they had a lot to do with this paper as well, too. So a shout out to them. But yeah, Otto, shout out to you as well. Thanks for, for having me on this podcast. I really had a great time talking about this. Jonathan, I look forward to uh, any more uh, information you have coming up. Uh, again, we're going to post this, uh, leave a link for for our Empire Longevity Insiders and for our uh, Facebook page uh, and for our website. Uh, I think this should be a mandatory read for anybody who's thinking about living past the age of one day. <laughs> <laughs> John, we, I appreciate your time and your enthusiasm, especially for this article, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me on, Otto. Take care. Absolutely, thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Empire Longevity Podcast. Always feel free to keep up with us at the Empire Longevity Insiders Facebook page or come on back to the Empire Longevity website, empirelongevity.com, for the latest podcasts, information, articles, and our upcoming symposium. Again, I'm Dr. Otto Janke. Thank you for being with us today on the Empire Longevity Podcast.